Well, welcome again to College Church. It's uh, good to be with you, and we're looking forward to studying uh, from the book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Find that in your Bibles. Anyone got the Bible, uh, pass, uh, Bible uh, verse, uh, page number? There we go, page number. What is the page number? Romans, can we do that, College Church? Someone shout out, Romans 3, verse 22. The professors are looking at me inquisitively. <laughs> what is the page number? 941. Romans 3, verse 22. Is that right? Tad says, is nodding at me, so I know it's, it must be true. Romans 3, verse 22. Now, it's great to be back. Thank you so much for all those who served so well of the summer, uh, preaching, the music, and fantastic music again this morning. And so it went so well over the summer that I almost said to the elders, can I have another month, you know? How, how do you feel about that? And, uh, but I'm back here. So Romans 3, verse 22. And uh, let's pray as we come to study this bit, and then I'll introduce it for us uh, in just a moment after we prayed. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and we pray now as we come to this passage, I pray that it would live. It is your living word, so I don't need to pray it would live, but I pray that our hearts will be open, and that by your spirit, uh, you would... uh, Enlighten our minds and um, thrill us by who you are, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, It's a a story as I begin to introduce this. It happened after church. You know what happens typically after church. I was actually at the beginning of the church shaking people's hands this morning. But typically you go out the door and you shake hands of the preacher and I was waiting in line for a handshake and that kind of thing. Uh, but this is a little different this time. I'd been overseas until recently. I just flew back in yesterday from uh, Dallas, actually, and uh, we had to get diverted to Indianapolis because of the storm, which was another whole story. But this is another time. I'd just flown back in the day before. And I was a bit jet-lagged. It was a different time zone and a little sleepy. And I was eager to connect, eager to connect with uh, my home church minister. He was a big supporter of, of ours. Uh, when we'd done student work at Cambridge University, he was thrilled. And I thought he'd be excited to hear how the work was going in this far-flung corner of the world to which I'd been briefly relocated. And so I was standing in line, and the person in front of me did the shake, smile, thank you. You know how it goes. Well, the culture in which I'd just been in was, it didn't work like that. When you greeted a friend on the streets in this culture, you did so with a kiss. Here's how the practice went there. Left hand behind friend's head, right hand firmly grasp hand, pull head towards and So that, you know, the woman in front of me goes off glowing after her brief word with the preacher, and now it's my turn. I looked at this Anglican vicar. I I come from the Church of England background. There he was, all in his robes, you know, looking very Anglican. (laughs) And my left hand moved behind his head. (laughs) My right hand grasped his right hand, and I pulled his head towards mine. Now, mercifully, I looked up at the last moment and looked at his eyes. (laughs) You could almost see written on his eyeballs this phrase, what have they done to him? (laughs) 
And thankfully, I averted mid-flight like a jumbo jet pulling up at the last minute from Heathrow or O'Hare or wherever it is. Proper protocol was resumed. Thank you for the sermon, I said. Kissing friends belong to another country. It was not what we do. Now, the church at Rome was made up of Jews and Gentiles. In all likelihood, a whole group of Jewish believers had just recently returned to Rome. Before Paul uh, wrote his letter, they'd been expelled, and in all likelihood, they had gone back again. So there's this church made up of Jews and Gentiles, a whole bunch of Jews just turned up again, and they've got to get along together. Jews and Gentiles and ne'er the twain shall mix. And yet, in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, Paul says, there is no distinction. It's a fascinating phrase. There is no distinction. Uh, when I was speaking down in Chile a couple of weeks ago, one of the trips I did over the summer... Chile is, uh, by the way, the most extroverted culture I have ever been in. I think I kissed every man, woman, child, and goat. (laughs) And I was spending some time with an old friend who's now a missionary there and some Australians and Gavin uh, from Texas, a member of our pastoral team. And with the Australians, we thought we'd take the opportunity in this sort of cultural blur to explain the distinctive game of cricket. And a subject, I think, that uh, was as exciting as one of my sermons. There is no distinction. What does Paul mean? In what sense, no distinction? How, no distinction? What kind of distinction is there no more any of? Are prepositions now the kind of things which we should end sentences with? That is the sort of thing up with which I will not put. (laughs) Well, how does Paul ground it, this no distinction? Listen, he writes this, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Now, it's helpful, isn't it, to think through what this word distinction actually means means. In English, it has two main meanings, distinction. Uh, On the one hand, it means something like worthy or excellent. And on the other hand, it means something like dissimilar, even perhaps discriminatory. Uh, In the original, this word was used actually in secular Greek, that is in Greek uses outside of the Bible, of uh, dentistry. An instrument for examining cavities or um, for opening a horse's mouth. Uh, in the Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul uses it of the distinction between notes in music. So the word means uh, making a separation between two things or people and opening. In that sense, a distinction. So Paul was saying, because of Jesus, between followers of Jesus, there is no gap. 
And therefore, of course, don't be strangers at church. There is no division or distance or separation or whole. The word, as we'll see, I think echoes with the Old Testament, where God made a distinction between his people and other peoples when he saved his people. We'll see that in in a little while. And Paul is saying, well, now there is no distinction through faith in Jesus Christ. This community of Christ is for all nations. So let me explain under three headings. It's simple, it's global, it's powerful. Simple. He says, the righteousness of God. Well, that is the righteousness which is the attribute of God. That is defined by God. That is associated with God. That expresses the rightness of God, the moral brilliance of God. So this is not the righteousness of a human or a machine or a petty list of do's and don'ts. All God's moral character is invested in this righteousness which describes who he is, his beauty, his glory, his love, his moral perfection, his value above all other values, his ethic aesthetically defined by who God is himself. So in that sense, it's simple. This righteousness of God is, Paul says, for all who believe. He uses the word believe in a slightly different variation of it twice, believe, faith. It's repeated in this verse to emphasize that it is merely by faith. So he says it is through faith in Jesus Christ and for all who believe. So this righteousness of God becomes ours, is given to us, is appropriated by us, not partly by faith and partly by something else. No, it is through faith and for all who believe. It's a technique of repetition to underline something when you're speaking verbally. It's Paul's way of underlining faith. If you have a pen, you can take out that pen right now and underline the word faith twice. It is an apostolic technique. (laughs) Now, when we begin to think like this, it would actually change how we live. See, Paul here preaches faith alone, faith and just faith, nothing else. But it is not the faith that remains alone. Because this righteousness of God is through true faith for all who truly believe. It's simple. 
It's all focused on the person of Jesus, right? The apex of this verse, the central point of this verse is Jesus. I remember once when I was uh, doing some student work at Yale. We, we, we did that uh, there for a little while. And I remember there walking down a street near the campus there. I had a few minutes to spare uh, before another meeting. And I walked into one of the stores in this uh, little uh, sort of section next to Yale University. And as I walked in, I was browsing around just seeing what was there. And I saw a little statue of Jesus about yay high. And then I looked closely (laughs) and I noticed it was a bobble-headed Jesus. And then I, that caught my attention. And then I looked a little more closely. He had roller skates on. I wish I bought it so I could show it to you. It's really kind of. And I wish I had bought every single copy ever made. Every other version on the face of the planet removed. See, we make Jesus small when he is big. (laughs) We complicate it because we do not appreciate his majesty. So, just Jesus, you say? That simple? That massive, I say? That glorious, I say? I remember walking into one of the ancient churches of a culture uh, different from mine and noticing that all the pictures of Jesus looked like, looked like that ethnic group, like people from that ethnic group of that country, which surprised me until I realized that all the pictures of Jesus in my own ancient churches in my culture looked like my ethnic group. We define Jesus by us and diminish Jesus by the comparison. The very righteousness of God, the majesty, the Ten Commandments, the blinding glory of the brilliance of his ethic is all available to those who believe through faith in Jesus. That simple. I was walking across a bridge one day and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. And so I ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I, he said. I said, well, there's so much to live for. He said, like what? I said, well, are you a are you religious or atheist? He said, religious. I said, me too. Are you pantheist or monotheist? He said, monotheist. I said, me too. Are you Muslim, Jewish, or Christian? He said, Christian. I said, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. Are you Protestant evangelical or Protestant liberal? He said, Protestant evangelical. I said, me too. Are you Protestant evangelical Calvinist or Protestant evangelical Arminian? He said, Protestant evangelical Calvinist. I said, me too. Are you Protestant evangelical Calvinist supralapsarianist or (laughs) Protestant evangelical Calvinist infralapsarianist? He said, Protestant evangelical Calvinist infralapsarianist. I said, die heretic scum. 
pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> That's simple. Global. I've been thinking uh, this summer about how to explain the uh, rapid pace we are taking through Romans. <laughs> it's not entirely idiosyncratic. Uh, Lloyd-Jones did the same, as did John Piper, many others. Romans, you see, has so vastly influenced so many people from Luther to Wesley to the Orthodox priest in Romania who translated the Bible Romans into modern Romanian and was converted by doing so. We need to take it slow. The image I have uh, come up with after talking with a friend is of a fractal, F-R-A-C-T-A-L, a fractal. A fractal, you see, is a naturally occurring phenomenon, or uh, it could be a mathematical set, that exhibits a repeating pattern at every single Scale. You can look at them, search them, Google them. Some of them are really quite beautiful. Romans, in a way, is a kind of fractal. What it is in large scale, it is in miniature. And you understand it more profoundly as you keep the miniature connected to the big picture. So Paul has an overall message in this letter to the Romans in which this, there is no distinction, fits. Paul is saying, overall, that the gospel of God makes sense for all nations. That's a big theme. When I was down in Chile, I was teaching Galatians. Preached that here some years ago. I was teaching some pastors about it. Galatians there is saying, not by man, but by God. Over and over again. Not by man, but by God. It's like a hammer on a drum. He repeats that over and over again. That's Galatians. Well, Romans is an expansion of Galatians in many ways, but it one with a different aim. And so he starts in verse 1 of chapter 1 announcing his theme, the gospel of God. And then he comes to it again in chapter 15, verses 14 to 16, where he describes how this gospel of God will go to all nations. And so here, you see, Paul has this church of Jews and Gentiles, and he wants them to see how they're all welcome, how they are all right before God through faith in Jesus, how this gospel is the credible salvation, not just for one nation, but for all nations throughout the world, on, everywhere on the face of the planet. My friends, this is global. This is for Mosul in Iraq and for Missouri. This is the great hope for the world. Jesus, faith in him, there is no distinction. While we were talking about this around the staff table this week, Pastor Lee Put it like this, the distinctive work of Jesus means that in him there is no distinction. 
How we need to think right about this and then be transformed by it. Uh, uh, I don't know whether you're struggling to understand what's going on in the Middle East these days. I certainly am. Uh, I remember talking to a friend of mine from the Middle East about this, and he tried to explain it to me by telling the, me this parable. He said there was a, a turtle and a scorpion. The scorpion needed a ride across a river and asked the turtle for the ride, and the turtle said, how do I know you will not sting me? And the scorpion said, if I sting you, we will both drown and so the turtle took him on his back and then in the middle of the river at the deepest point the scorpion did an amazing brilliant most dramatic disastrous sting on the turtle and as the turtle began to sink and they both were about to drown the turtle said why did you do it and the scorpion said because it is in my nature There is something in our nature. The Bible calls it sin. That is universal. And only has one solution. There is no distinction. I've heard someone say that Cottage Church is the perfect church said to myself, well, I suppose that's better than being the useless church. And then I smiled to myself and thought, if only they knew. The heartache in this room. The people who have died this week. the sins which we fight with every day. The people who give sacrificially to global mission. Care for the poor among us. The disability ministry. If only they knew There is no distinction. True here, true there, true everywhere, it's global. It's powerful. Simple, global, powerful. It's powerful. There is no distinction. Actually, Paul, if you've got your Bibles open, I hope you do, look at Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Paul uses that same phrase one other time. Uh, Romans uh, 10, verse 12. He says, therefore, there is no distinction, just one other time, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a phrase that comes, I believe, from the book of Exodus. You find it used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in chapter 8 of that book of Exodus. There God's people are being rescued from slavery to Egypt, and God rescues them by putting a distinction between them and the Egyptians. He makes a distinction. And now Paul is saying... There is no distinction. In other words, 
this gospel pre-announced in Genesis chapter 3. Announced to Abraham that he would be a source of blessing to all nations. Promised to great King David that his son would live forever. That son found in Jesus. Simple, glorious Jesus is now for all. There is no distinction. I think in the south you have a phrase that goes like this. You say, y'all. And then you say, let's see if I can get this right. Then you say, all ya all. If you like Paul saying, not just y'all, but all y'all. <laughs> or uh, perhaps use guys. Use guys. In English, we say, you lot, you know, all y'all. Of course, there are some distinctions that, uh, between us that do remain. Some are taller than others. Some are smaller. Some have hair. Others, like me, have become follically challenged. Some are older. Some are younger. Some are cleverer. Some are not nerds. I experienced a different side of life recently when renting a car. I asked for a free upgrade for a BMW, and they said yes. The only trouble was that I had to explain to everyone now why a pastor had a brand-new high-end Beamer for a week, which was especially challenging when I drove it to speak at a missions conference. <laughs> then I asked, though, for a, another time for a free upgrade, you know, seeing up going with my role here for a free upgrade to first class on a plane when I was traveling with my four children and the lady behind the counter looked at me over her glasses and said, nice try. <laughs> Paul will later say that we have different gifts in this body of Christ. We have different temperaments. Some are introverts, some are extroverts, some are married, some of us are single. Some are old. Some are going to be old one day. <laughs> People try to remove these distinctions. Jean uh, Twenge, psychologist, discovered that in the early 1990s, some elementary schools in Texas were teaching children to sing in little circles they gathered together at the beginning of the day to the tune of Frere Jacques, if you knew that that tune, this, this song, I am special, I am special, look at me. Which, if you are like me and you think through the meaning of words, is really quite funny because special means different from what is usual or better or greater. So sitting in a circle all singing I am special is like sitting in a circle all singing I am taller. It's good material for a Monty Python sketch, but not, not actually true, you know. But these distinctions are nothing compared to what we have in common in Christ. In the truest sense, there is no distinction in the church of Christ. Because like this, you think of Mount Everest, perhaps you follow the footsteps, that great New Zealander after which the last 
step, Hillary step, is named after him, and you get to the top of Mount Everest, and you look out there, and you're on top of Mount Everest, and at that point on the top of that mountain, Mount Everest, we are all small. Inverse snobbery is not allowed. Rich people are welcome. So are poor people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this in his great book, Life Together. He wrote this, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. I love that, the physical presence, just being here. Incomparable joy and strength. Why, he said, because of this. Our righteousness is an alien righteousness. That is, a righteousness that comes from outside us. What Paul is talking about here in these verses. And so the Christian lives wholly by the truth of God's word in Jesus Christ. And then he said, life together under the word will remain sound and healthy where it does not form itself into a movement. I think he meant some kind of sectarian movement. Instead, where it shares actively and passively in the sufferings and struggles and promise of the whole church. In Christ, because all our sinners... And all can only be saved through Christ. If you believe in Christ, you are right with God, which means you're all right by us. It is powerful. I want you to look around the room and realize that as you do, in the most important way of all, there is no distinction between those who have faith in Christ. I know sometimes here you can go up to someone and you say to them, you don't recognize them, you say, are you new? And they can say, look, I've been coming to this church for 30 years. I have 10 grandchildren in the children's ministry. But instead you could say, tell me about yourself. And you can listen. And if you are in Christ, you will hear the heartbeat of Jesus for each and every one of us. See, the decision to go to church each week is more important than any you will take over the next number of years. For under God, in all likelihood, that decision alone will determine your future path. For now is the school of Christ in the family of the church where you will learn to live together with children, elderly, and people whose grade point average is not above average. I want to conclude with a little story which I always think is both meaningful and I find funny. I don't know whether you will or not. Well, I guess we'll soon find out. It's a person who came to us, actually uh, a bunch of students in the church have been witnessing to her, and uh, she was sort of off the streets really in a sense, and 
they told her about Jesus, and she believed in Jesus, and so she started coming to church, and then she was discipled and prayed for in a Bible study group and all this, and then eventually she was baptized and became a member of the church. And this is someone who had been a drug addict, but actually I found out she had been a drug dealer in New York and elsewhere. So she was that, you know, that's a different kind of world to the one that I know. Anyway, she was going to another church and she was starting to feel really at home in the place and sort of protective in a good sense about the ministry and the church. And I remember after one service once, she came up to me and she looked at me with sort of, you know, said to me, look, pastor, I just want to let you know something. If, if you ever have any problems with anyone, you know, if anything ever happens and someone causes you difficulty, you just have to tell me and with one phone call. It's the first and only time a new convert has ever offered to take out a hit for me. (laughs) There is no distinction. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we pray that as we focus on you, Realize anew your gospel, your power, so you would build this community of love and welcome. And so we pray now as we turn to sing, you lift up our hearts and our minds as we sing out about you, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.